Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, February 7, 2024, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in Montana. Adrian and Sean are working from California, and Taylor Schwing is working from Connecticut. The Schwing Studios, it feels like every day, Taylor, is an Orioles day. Right? Uh, I mean, just, you know, we talked last week about the tremendous opportunities that were out there for the Orioles to do something immediately. Fired up were you about this trade for Corbin Burns? Buster, I truly can't recall a time where one of my teams made, like, an enormous, like, league-changing move like this. Like, the feeling I felt, this is so lame to say, but, like, I never felt that. I was sitting on the couch being like, what is this sensation inside of me? Uh, it's it's remarkable. It took new ownership one day. Of course, John Angelos is one out day. One day, John Angelos is out there being like, "This isn't because of new ownership." This is well, Michael Elias had to say it, but uh, you know that's classic John Angelos. Yeah, but what, it took one day. Give me a break. Well, I mean, they must have listened to the podcast because we pleaded with them. You have to take advantage of this moment right now, and uh, they sure enough they went out there and did it. I am I am ecstatic for the season. Hembo wanted to do an emergency yeah. podcast last Friday. I said, "Ah, oh, let's cool your jet." We'll wait till Wednesday. I must say that some of the stories I, I read were like it wasn't attached, like it wasn't even connected. It was like uh, mentioned as an afterthought down in the story. Oh, yeah, the Orioles are going through an owner transition. <laughs> like it's not related. <laughs> what are you kidding? I mean, what to think about the Orioles and what they've spent over the last, you know, six, five or six years. They've done nothing. And then, you know, within 48 hours after this is announced, They'd make a trade for a Cy Young Award winner. Yeah. Coincidence, Taylor. <laughs> I mean, I, and we're going to talk to Hembo later in the show, but he tweeted out, this is the Orioles' best starter since Mike Mussina. So uh, the Angelos family is going to sit and look at their track record. The second best pitcher in the, the Angelos reign was probably Chris freaking Tillman. Like, give me a break. This doesn't have anything to do with no new ownership. I mean, that's absurd. Right, exactly. Because now, I mean, if you're sitting in Mike Elias's uh, seat, you're feeling probably more free to do some things. You don't have to play mm-hmm. a super conservative hand every time. You know that when you know we come into the season that they've been able to upgrade because they have more resources. When we get to midseason at the trade deadline, we're not going to mm-hmm. be asking whether or not the Orioles are going to be active. Yeah. I mean, it's just a different time. So congratulations on that. By the way, the Brewers in that deal – uh, got infielder Joey Ortiz, left-handed uh, pitcher D.L. Hall in the 34th pick in the 2024 draft. I can tell you there are a lot of questions around baseball with other front offices. Like, why would you sign Reese Hoskins and then trade Corbin Burns? And according to Bob Nightingale, USA Today, they've also signaled to other teams. They're, t- they're willing to talk about shortstop Willie Adamas. You talk about mixed signals, like from the Brewers. It it, it kind of, it, it's surprising. All right, some other big moves. Uh, you as an Orioles fan probably had interest in this. Theo Epstein has joined the Fenway Sports Group as part owner and advisor. And Taylor, I can tell you this, from talking to people around baseball, he ain't going to be doing no advising. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they just couldn't come up with another name for head of baseball operations. <laughs> that's a big deal for the Red Sox. Yeah, that's that's an interesting move. Among the the way the lack of waves they've made throughout the offseason, it's it's kind of I think it's a good move for them, but it kind of screams desperation a little bit. I don't think it screams desperation. I think it probably was a change needed being that was needed. 
I would say this for the next couple of years, Theo is going to be viewed as a symbol of credibility within the organization uh, and with their fans. Like if he winds up being the guy sent to Springfield next year to represent the Red Sox, I don't think Theo is getting booed. <laughs> You're talking about, you know, the guy is viewed as the greatest general manager in the history of baseball who ended championship less uh, seasons with both the Red Sox, uh, you know, 86 years and the Chicago Cubs, 108 years. And I will say, with the break, breaking news here as we're recording this, uh, Netflix is doing a season-long documentary on the Red Sox. I'm sure Mr. Theo Epstein will be front and center for for all of that. I don't know if he will. I, I think he's he probably he might feel like all he has right. enough attention. You know, maybe this is a way for. I, although it seems strange to me, given all the, it, it's not like they're going to be contending for the American League. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, <laughs> some other big news that we're going to be talking about this with Hembo coming up. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr. agreed to a $288.8 million 11-year contract. As soon as his news broke yesterday, my son, the huge Braves fan, just texted me. He said, I'm so happy for ro- the Royals. And I agree with that. Like when you can have a, you know, a storied player, a great young prospect sign for a long-term deal to stay in a small market, that's pretty cool. Jose Altuve has reached a five-year, $125 million deal. I've talked about in the past in the podcast, he had no interest in leaving. Uh, he, he has felt overpaid his whole career, you know, which is silly because he's been a great player. This pretty much ensures that he'll finish his career in Houston. Uh, Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers have agreed to a new contract. We don't have details on that. Uh, I'm going to be talking with Hembo about that. We're going to be talking with Sarah Langs. And an interesting feature today, we're going to be talking about the pitch clock and talking with Rich Hill and also with Zach Eflin at the Tampa Bay Rays, Caleb Cawthon, the pitching coach of the Philadelphia Phillies. And by the way, I mentioned Rich Hill uh, when we were talking to him about the pitch clock. He also gave us some news about his plans for 2024. Give a listen. I'm not opposed to uh, uh, going into spring training with a team. Uh, it's a small percentage, but definitely not opposed to it. Uh, looking forward to watching our son, Bryce, uh, play little league this this uh, upcoming spring and uh, help coach help coach the team a little bit um, and 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 you know it's his last year it's a senior senior season of uh, little league so I want to uh, be a part of it I've only gotten to watch probably four or five of his games over the last four years and you know that's been difficult uh, you know being away and and all that but um, you know having the opportunity now and and uh, making that decision, you know, I definitely know it's it's the right decision. And and if it's not in spring training, like I said, for a small percentage, um, July or, or August is is an intended uh, return date to uh, come back and and pitch again. What do you think, Taylor? Rich Hill, wait until midseason. He wants to see his son play ball this spring. That's pretty cool. I love it. Rich, great friend of the podcast. I'm glad that he can sort of have his cake and eat it too, as he, you know, his career is, you know, on, on the back end for sure. You know, you can avoid spring training. I mean, you got to love that for him. Good guy. No, 100%. All right, Buster. Today, I'm doing a sort of a split recording thing. Adrian's at the Super Bowl, so I need an extra set of hands on the College Game Day podcast. They're talking to Jed Fish today, the new head coach uh, for Washington, coming over from Arizona. Interesting guy. He's been around for a while. 
Pete and Reese have a good relationship with him, so it should be a good chat. Um, and then they'll talk about probably the imminent demise of the NCAA uh, if the uh, state governments of Tennessee and uh, and Virginia get their way. So check out the Game Day podcast. You can watch it on YouTube or listen on this platform. Yeah, that that what Rick Pitino said the other day. Like, what are we doing? Why do we need the NCAA with the way this is going? I, I know it, the NCAA is a feckless organization. Uh, I mean, all you have to do is look at North Carolina creating a fake degree program for their athletes and the, that they were never punished for. So um, if you can manufacture degrees, uh, the, there's no point to the NCAA. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jumping into the numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball Tonight. And Himbo, of course, is Paul Ambikides, the highest paid researcher, uh, production assistant, uh, you know, content <laughs> uh, generator in all of uh, sports. $701 million contract, all but $10 deferred. Uh, Himbo, what's, how uh, are you doing this week? Buster, I'm doing great. You know, it was nice to see uh, Bobby Witt Jr., a superstar shortstop for the Kansas City Royals, make a fraction of the amount of money that I will someday. But look, I mean, he's a young, exciting player. He doesn't kind of provide the the value that I do, certainly. But it was nice to see him still, you know, find himself a nine-figure contract to represent the Kansas City Royals for the next decade. Well, and as far as we know, it's real money. Like, I think that's what he's getting, $288.5 million. It'll be interesting to, you know, ask the question, much is wit's money going to be worth compared to otani's money right i mean because it's all deferred i think it's it's going to wind up being pretty close i thought it was cool that the royals signed him it's one of those situations where it feels like they had to and i don't know if it if it's slightly above market if it's a lot above market maybe it's a little bit below market but from the royals perspective if you tell a fan of funding a new stadium you had to sign this guy. And if you're Bobby Wood Jr. and someone comes to you with $288.5 million, how do you say no, Hembo? 
Yeah, there has never been a person, um, or at least there have been very few people for whom you could put that amount of money in front of them to guarantee that none of their descendants will ever have to work a day in their lives and would like not to sign it. It makes all the sense in the world for a team and all the sense in the world for a player. And it really punctuates what has been a good offseason for the Royals. They've spent $110 million in free agency, um, plus the Bobby Witt Jr. extension, which is enormous. I was texting with a buddy of mine who is a fan of that team yesterday, and he said that this was the best day they've had since they won the World Series. Um which is obviously really saying something, but I think it's accurate. Um, Bobby Wood Jr. is a, I wouldn't say generational superstar, but he's certainly someone that has superstar potential buster. I wrote down a few things that most stood out to me um, about his first two seasons in baseball. Uh, the first of which was his improvements last year. He hit 301 and slugged 563 in the second half, and the glove improved a lot. So when you see a player of that age improve in meaningful ways both year over year and midseason, it's obviously a very encouraging sign when it comes to his through-the-roof aptitude. Look, everyone knows about the power-speed combo. It's 126 extra base hits and 79 steals across the ages of 22 and 23. That's absurd. He's the only player in history with 200 of those combined in their first two seasons, regardless of age, and he did it primarily at shortstop. Wow. Obviously, the talent's ridiculous. I think the biggest question I have about Bobby Witt Jr., and look, it's, it's the right contract for the team and it's the right contract for the player, and for him personally, I like the opt-outs. But the question is, is he going to be a star or is he going to be a superstar? Because I know he can be a five or six war player. I don't know if he can be seven or eight war player. It's going to come down to the, the, the command of the strike zone. Because it's a three and a half to one strikeout to walk ratio. It's a 307 on base. And that number was 350 in his minor league career, which is to say Bobby Wood can have a long and story career in the big leagues if he doesn't become elite at that. But if he can approach that and he can continue to improve that attribute of his game, I think we're talking about like a perennial MVP contender who, if he can couple with his ridiculous athleticism and that really potent barrel with some old man skills, we're talking about one of the most dominant forces in the whole sport. To me, that will, that's what will determine whether or not he's a star or a superstar. All right, I'm going to throw you a curveball here. Uh, you're right. I mean, he's clearly a, a, at least an, a, you know, an excellent player. Uh, the, you know, is he going to be a, a star player, a Hall of Famer? We'll have to wait and see. But Hembo, I just got to, as an aside, when I saw this contract number, I mean, Kansas City, of course, is the home of Patrick Mahomes. $288.5 million guaranteed for a baseball player. How underpaid are NFL quarterbacks when you talk about the revenue that's generated by the NFL when you compare this contract with NFL quarterbacks? It's kind of a joke. That's why I think every labor negotiation, I always root for the NFL players. Yeah, me too. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, by this standard, would be worth, I think, north of a billion dollars. We're talking about, like, we're talking about the the like the the face of billion dollar entities and products and such. And like, no one's crying about Patrick Mahomes for earning uh, the contract that he's earning, uh, right. without question. But no, I mean, relatively speaking, uh, Patrick Mahomes is earning cents on the dollar in relation to the value that he actually generates on and off the field. No question. All right, Clayton Kershaw agrees to terms with the Dodgers. People in baseball assume that uh, if he were going to come back in 2024, 2025, this is where he would land. Yes, um, this is a guy on the Dodgers' Mount Rushmore, at least in my opinion, and nothing would be more jarring than mm. to see him wearing the cap of the Texas Rangers or anybody else for that matter. A couple impending milestones, Buster, as he's coming back. Um, with the next pitch he throws, he will become the longest tenured pitcher in the history of the Dodgers, he is currently tied with Don Sutton, who pitched there for 16 seasons. And fascinatingly, with 17 more strikeouts, he will have recorded more strikeouts at Dodger Stadium than any pitcher 
in any pitcher in any stadium in the history of Major League Baseball. That is currently a distinction owned by Steve Carlton at Veterans Stadium. Just a couple of things to file away. Um, that being said, he should never get the ball in the postseason ever again. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that we don't have to see like the, the lasting image of him walking off that mound against the Diamondbacks as the last one, either in his career or for the Dodgers. But there's zero level of trust there for me at this juncture. And given how much better that staff has gotten this offseason, I would be awfully tentative to give him another opportunity on that stage. But I don't want to rain on his parade. This is a good day for him, a good day for the Dodgers. And I don't think there's any better fit than letting him come back there and finish his career on his own terms. Yeah, and we'll see, you know, exactly how much he can, can contribute. And, uh, and more. you know, it's all going to depend on his health, on his rehab, and, and how quickly he makes it back. Uh, I've had conversations with Jose Altuve where he said to me, looked at me after signing his last extension, goes, I am so overpaid. Like he thinks of himself as a guy who should be making two dollars an hour because he gets to play a, a sport, um, and, and like it, it makes him shake his head the idea of how much money he's getting. And as I said to him at that time, uh, look, Jose, you have been so underpaid in the early part of your career with that team friendly contract you initially signed with the with the Astros. I said you could retire today, and you'll have made the team so much more money than they will have paid you. You aren't underpaid. He's headed the Hall of Fame. It, and it's uh, that perspective is why I thought there was no chance he would ever leave the Astros. Yeah, all-time great guy. I root for him, even though a lot of the public obviously does not for obvious reasons. Uh, he's still a premier offensive player. It's a 157 OPS plus over the last two years with 45 homers and 32 steals across 231 games. So he can still um, he can still hit at a really high level. So I think conservatively, every as we project out the rest of his 30s, we're looking at 2,500 hits, 250 homers, 350 steals, and and 60 war. And, and it, Buster, if you couple that with just an enormous degree of postseason success, you're putting him on a very short list of the greatest second baseman all time. I, I think, I think that if you just project conservatively what he will be throughout the rest of his 30s, he's the best second baseman since Joe Morgan. And I'd like to allow him to see. Uh, allow us to see the remainder of his career in Houston. And even though he's had to be the face of the sign-stealing scandal, um, I think he's actually going to come out smelling like a rose. Unlike Carlos Correa, unlike Carlos Beltran on the Hall of Fame ballot, his um, handling of that situation, I think, was so abo uh, above reproach at a time when the world was throwing slings and arrows at them that when it's all said and done, done he will be considered something of a sympathetic figure. When and, you know, And juxtaposed with... Um, just a ridiculously prolific career at second base, a place where I think he'll probably finish his career. Yeah, I think we're talking about not an inner circle Hall of Famer, but someone that's not too far away from that. Yeah, and I stopped voting for the Hall of Fame, you know, almost a decade ago. And I've, uh, if I had a vote, I would vote for him in the first year. I don't yeah, think he's going to get in. I don't think he's going to get in the first year. I think the comp in the way the the, the writers are going to handle him, and we saw this with Carlos Beltran's uh, vote total being way down his first year, taking a jump in his second year, I think it's going to be Roberto Alomar, like who did not get in in first ballot into the Hall of Fame because I think a lot of voters held the John Hirschbeck spitting incident against him, and then he got in the second year. Maybe the greatest second baseman all time other than, you know, Joe Morgan, and he had to wait a year. And I think that might be what happens with a Jose. I hope not. All right, give me a surprise team in 2024. And I, you know, this conversation with you and I started because we've got these team previews coming up and I've asked you and Sarah to give me win projections on all these teams. Surprise me with a, a, a team where you see a win projection higher than a lot of folks do. 
I think the Giants. I think the San Francisco Giants are going to make the playoffs. Right now, I have them penciled in for 85 wins, and, and I could see them approaching wow. 90, to be honest with you. Um, I'll give you three reasons why. Um, the lineup's going to be better. Last year, they were 24th in scoring, but they're going to be a lot better than that this year. Um, first of all, the projection systems really like Jung Hu Lee. They view him as like a a two or three war player. And the profile is one that I'm attracted to. Um, secondly, I, I think Marco Luciano is going to be a considerable offensive upgrade over Brandon Crawford. Uh, Brandon Crawford. His exit velocities are massive. I think it's going to be a low on base, but he could hit 15 or 20 homers this year if he sticks in the big leagues and plays 140 games. I really, I really like what I've seen from him. I think he's sort of an under the radar rookie of the year candidate. And three, and I'm doing a little projecting here, but this is the ideal team for Matt Chapman and or Jorge Soler. I don't think they're done. Um, this is a team that has, has had a very difficult time convincing people to take their money. But at this juncture in the offseason, those are both like heavy hitters, um, both guys that are going to be looking for teams willing to open up their pocketbooks. And I think San Francisco qualifies as that kind of team. They, they, could, they could plug Jorge Soler to the outfield and DH him. Matt Chapman would be an instant, massive upgrade over J.D. Davis at third base. That team can still do a lot of improving, and I know they're going to pitch buster. And so, if I'm going to say they're going to get their offense from 24th to say 15th, let's say they can fake it to average. You got Logan Webb at the top of that rotation. You're going to get back Robbie Ray and Alex Cobb sometime around the All Star break with a really nice quartet at the back end of that bullpen. I'm seeing a pretty pretty attractive team. I, I I'm going to predict as of today. This is uh, February the 7th, and I'm saying this. But they're going to finish second in that division behind the Dodgers, a distant second, and they're going to make the playoffs. What say you? Wow. No, no chance. No chance. <laughs> but I would say this. No, I'm, I'm kidding and saying no chance. Uh, I, I, I don't look at them now as a playoff team. I want to see what more they do. You're 100% right in speaking with agents and rival executives. They look at two teams for the rest of the winter, and they're like, they got to get somebody. They got, you know, Cody Bellinger's out there. Uh, as you mentioned, Matt Chapman is out there. Uh, and the two teams that are mentioned so often are the Giants and the Cubs. So we'll uh, we'll see where that goes. And last, I just wanted to touch on with you uh, this situation, which just, I think, underscores what a circus this whole uh, A's thing is when you have the mayor of Las Vegas, okay, the place where the A's supposedly are going to call home in a few years. Here's the mayor of Las Vegas talking about the situation with the team. I personally, I'm not talking about anybody else, anywhere else in this community. I personally think they've got to figure out a way to stay in Oakland to make their dream come true. This is uh, sound from the mayor of Las Vegas from the Front Office Sports Podcast. Uh, I got to say, Hembo, <laughs> I just, it's hard to become more of a joke than, than this situation has become. Yeah, th this is an all-time gaffe and, and has been for, for quite some time. It has been such a sordid tale. And we have 30 of these, all right? We have 30 crown jewels. And there are hundreds of cities that would die to have a Major League Baseball team. And on the surface, I think Vegas would be a perfectly fine place for the ace to land. It would make baseball a lot of money. They could host an all-star game. It would, I think it would drive revenue in a really positive way. But I mean, like the, the A's become like a Statue of Liberty team. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to play ball. I mean, this is this is where the A's are. Um, it's it is so sad because um, in Oakland, this is a fan base that has supported its teams through thick and thin, despite the fact that they're playing in a dump, and despite the fact that nobody seems to want them. And now the new place doesn't want them. I was stunned to hear like the the mayor of the new city 
say Carolyn this Goodman. I should have said her name when I introduced the sound. Carolyn Goodman. It is unfathomable. It is without fathom. Like, this is a miracle that has befallen you <laughs> in your city. And you could not have made it more obvious. You don't want them. She even uh, tried clarifying her comments and like only walked them back some of the way. So I don't exactly know how this will eventually be adjudicated. I have no idea where the A's will be playing. But what I can say for sure is that for many, many years, this has been one of baseball's black eyes. And it's not obvious to me, Buster, that it's going to heal anytime soon. So I'm going to start referring to the A's as our as our Statue of Liberty team. Yeah, I, I, perfect. That'd be perfect. <laughs> and does it not? And by the way, she, her reaction, I think, was absolutely visceral because she's seen details of what Oakland was offering and what the A's turned down. And she's like, what? What? What is going on here? What, how come you didn't finish a deal with that city? And of course, she she's not in baseball. And she's also probably wondering, why can't the owners make him stay? Like, why can't they figure this out? Uh, you have to work in baseball to understand how dysfunctional owners can be. That's for sure. All right, Hembo, thanks for doing this. Later, friends. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick of Hembo. Major League Baseball's adoption of the pitch clock ranks somewhere among the most radical rule changes among the four major sports. The NBA changed its trajectory with the advent of the 24-second shot clock in 1954 and the three-point shot in 1979. Curry with the fake on Jalen Brown, drills it! In the NFL, there was an effort to help the passing game in 1978, with defenders restricted in their contact with receivers after five yards. What has followed is an explosion of pass offense. Tenth play of the Chiefs drive is first and ten after the penalty at the Raven 19 near hash. Mahomes to throw against a four-man rush. Fires it near side to Calte. Comes back to the ball and holds it in. Touchdown! The National Hockey League worked to reduce the number of ties by implementing an overtime period for the 1983-84 season. Here he goes after the puck. He's played all night. Wayne Gretzky in on goal. Shoot, scores in overtime. Gretzky gets the winner. In baseball, a sport long celebrated for its timelessness, the pitch clock was put into place before the 2023 season in an effort to speed up the game. And as our friend Sarah Langs notes, the objective was met. The average time of game shrunk significantly from an average of three hours, six minutes in 2022 to two hours, 39 minutes in 2023. Three World Series games last fall were played in under three hours for the first time since 2006. But along the way, there was some frustration. On opening day, Rafael Devers was the first hitter called out on a pitch clock violation. They called a strike on Rafi. Not being ready. And he's out. Oh. He's out. Wow. Well, he wasn't set to go. He didn't know quite the, what to make of it, but there's no argument. First time we've seen a strikeout that way. We spoke with three members of the pitching fraternity about the clock, which will be adjusted slightly in its second year. The pitchers will have 18 seconds to deliver a pitch with runners on base, two seconds less than in 2023. With no runners on base, pitchers will still have 15 seconds. Here's Rich Hill, who turns 44 years old next month. I think 
you know, what I saw in the beginning part of the season was everybody was in adjustment period for a lot of guys to get used to it. And, you know, obviously the incurring penalties that were happening. Um, and still, that that's a I'm still going to be a huge proponent of being a, uh, against, you know, having an outcome that doesn't have a competitive base to it. Uh, and, and, you know, they have, they have, they've got to come up with some answer, I believe, uh, to uh, alleviate that uh, outcome because, you know, people are paying good money to come watch competition. They're not coming to watch uh, balls and strikes or, or uh, you know, guys uh, getting walking back to the dugout or uh, walking to first base without a competitive act actually happening. Um, but with that said, I thought, you know, it was – it things moved in the right direction. The games were quicker. Um, I think fans wanted a faster paced game and ultimately, you know, we, we ended up achieving that. And I, and I don't know at what cost of, um, you know, the product on the field was, um, I think that we lost a little bit of, uh, creativity from individuality. So we didn't see the players kind of, um, you know, I think I think we're losing a little bit of uh, that individuality. So the, the players of taking their time getting in the boxes sometimes in big situations and big moments and the build up to that big moment. Um, you know, yeah, was it was it sometimes a little bit much when you're in the you know fifth inning or the sixth inning in a game that's dragging on and you know pitchers taking a couple laps around the around the mound, of course, but. You know, in certain situations, I think guys are trying to gather themselves and, and you know, mentally prepare themselves to, to get back into, uh, you know, that, that positive mindset or mind frame that they're trying to, to gain either as a hitter and or as, as a pitcher because that, you know, the mental side of the game is, is such a big part of it. And I think that the clock, um, you know, has, has kind of removed some of that individuality. That, that would be the the detractor that I've seen and also obviously the outcomes. But as far as the pace of play and, and, and you know, the time of the games, I think that was a huge benefit. Caleb Cotham is the pitching coach of the Philadelphia Phillies. He discussed the process from the beginning of spring training and remembered closer Craig Kimbrell's adjustment. I think spring training was the find out period on how I just, you know, 95% of the time, 90% of the time handle the clock. But then... There's nothing that can really replicate those big moments in the game when it is very fast. There's a lot of fans. So I think the first month was a another calibration to like the biggest spots in the game and finding uh, different strategies to slow the game down, find a breath. Because we've always talked about 15 seconds of, of clarity in between pitches, like what happened, what am I going to do about it? And that got squeezed to about five seconds. So I think there was... There, in some ways, like three levels of calibration. The spring training early in the year, and then, then you kind of calibrate to like, how can I take advantage of this? So I'd say about a month into the season, most guys uh, really didn't have to think about it. Their internal clock was recalibrated. Now Kimbrel, you know, he's got a different. He had a different way of coming set, so it was kind of a battle for him. And I, I get it. Like he's he's done that one million times. So. He had to find his own way. He's had to work a little quicker. Can we get the ball back to him quicker? But most guys, most guys, it was they were good to go about a month in. Here's Zach Eflin, who had a remarkable first season with the Rays. I honestly um, don't really have any problems with it. I've always been a quick worker, and I've always believed in giving the hitters, you know, as little time as possible to think about the at bat in between pitches and everything. So I've 
almost to a to a point kind of been a fan of it just because it speeds up the game but i i love the pace of play that that we have um you know if i was out there kind of just thinking about stuff i'd probably would have different uh different stats and, and, and whatnot, but for me personally, I love the pace of the play and, and moving along. Hill agreed with what some staffers reported early in the season, that some veteran pitchers initially struggled with the game pace. And Cotham tells this story about Zach Wheeler, one of the majors' best pitchers. The one that sticks out to me was probably early, first third of the year. I can't remember who was pitching against him, but Zach, Zach Wheeler was pitching, and they were, kind of, they were in that pitcher duel where it's quick, they're both on. You know, you look up, it's the fifth inning, and we've been playing for like 12 minutes, uh, or it felt that way. And I remember Zach sitting down there, and and he was very good that day. I want to say it was against Gossman, uh, but it was really fast. So I think that that's that was the biggest adjustment. It's like, if if it feels normal and the game's going normal, it was more the starting pitcher. And like, if the other guy was good, you don't get to sit very long. So we had to... We had to figure out ways to communicate with the offense at times. Be like, hey, not delay the game, but, you know, be nice to get a little bit of a blow here. Because I remember Zach looking at me, he's like, man, uh, oof, I'm tired. And I, I get it. It was, it was very different. Pitching injuries have been on the rise. And there are doctors like Glenn Fleisig who believe that the chase for velocity is a root cause for that spike. In 2015, there were 239 instances in which a pitcher was placed on an injured list. In 2022, 414. And in 2023, 383. There seems to be widespread belief among pitchers that the clock was a factor in the spike in injuries. Here's Rich Hill. There, there's no question that it did. And I think if you talked with any um, you know, orthopedic surgeon, um, any of the trainers out there, they're going to tell you that the increase um, in uh, the spike in uh, basically volume in, in, a, in a short amount of time is going to increase in, in, in injury. And uh, not only for pitchers, but also for position players. I think, um, you know, we're seeing, seeing uh, the, on the other side of it, there's, there's more relievers being made now than there are starting pitchers. Um, you know, the trend in exit velocity and home runs is, is obviously here. Uh, we don't value average as much as we used to. And we talk about the, the gameplay kind of being boring for the fan because there's not enough balls in play. Uh, getting back to that, you know, kind of style of baseball where, you know, average is important. You're seeing hit and runs. You're seeing guys getting moved over. Obviously, the stolen base that came into effect last year uh, with the bigger bags made a difference. Um, but I think, I think as far as uh, you know, overall, just the 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 injury factor that is that is uh, upon us is is definitely a real concern. And I think that you know, obviously, if it's going to cost teams money, if the, if the owners want to take a look at that and time spent on the IL as opposed to uh, you know, being ready and being active on the field, that's that's a huge concern. So uh, as far as the numbers are, I, you know, I have no idea what that that looks like, but definitely saw, uh, you know, that increase because of the time. And, and you know, I, I'm not sure in between pitches what guys might need. You know, a pitcher might feel something, get a little bit tight uh, during a pitch and then might need a few seconds to walk around and, and kind of let that you know, tightness dissipate a little bit. 
where, where you don't have that now. You know, you get to run right into the next pitch and uh, or a hitter. You know, they can't really step out and they have to be in the box at eight seconds. Um, and it, it's different. It's an adjustment. And uh, to your point, I, I think that, you know, increased in injury is definitely a, a main, a big concern. Here's Eflin. At the end of the day, like if you look at it, you know, it, it's going to spike your heart rate. You know, you're going to be throwing more pitches in a shorter amount of time. And that's going to cause more stress to the body, um, you know, just regardless of where you stand with it, it's going to cause more stress to the body. So I see both sides for me personally, it hasn't affected me because I've always been a quick worker, like I said, but I do believe that um, it has led to some more arm injuries. Here's Cotham. It's tough to say. I mean, I, I think there, there's a lot of good information and studies that do point to taking away rest, especially in between pitches in between innings probably is not it's not the best for the pitcher, but I don't know if I could say that, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the cost of doing business. So you pitch, these guys throw really hard. They, they throw a lot. Um, I don't think it helped, but I'm not certain that it hurt. Um, I do think, I do think that, that, that example we were talking about earlier where the starter, he's cramming 65 pitches into an hour compared to maybe it used to be an hour and a half, hour 45. That's something we want to continue to deal with and find strategies in between innings to downregulate and and really turn off. Is if if you're if you're turned on at that time where you in between innings you never actually get some rest. So even when those games are going really quick, like getting underneath, getting out of the dugout potentially, even if that's not part of your routine, getting in a quiet room and focusing on your breath. I do think that'll help, but yeah, I don't know. I think. Time will tell. The X factor with a pitch clock, some players believe, is the person charged with running the clock in each ballpark. Here's Eflin relating some conversations he had with former teammates in Philadelphia. At the end of the day, it's all dependent on the guy who's who's pressing the button up in the in the press box. You know, he's he's watching everything, but you know that person is different at every single stadium. Um, I heard from a lot of my Phillies guys um, that. They've had some issues with with their guy, with their uh, pitch clock guy. You know, as soon as you know, getting it out at first base, the clock immediately starts, or not even walking back to the mound yet, and there's ten seconds left to deliver a pitch. Um, so I think it kind of differs um, really from stadium to stadium and team to team. But for the most part, I think it's a good system. I think there are things that could be um, that that could get better for sure. The enhanced pace also meant that all players spent less time at the park and had more time at home. Here's Eflin. Oh, it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, baseball's a long sport. Don't get me wrong. Nine innings, it's 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 a long, long night. Um, but to be able to, you know, put my daughters down, like I will leave at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon to go to the field. And typically before this last season, I wouldn't see my daughters until the next day. So it's nice to be able to go home, see them for 15, 20 minutes, um, read them a story, put them down for bed, and then be able to hang out with my wife a little bit. Here's Caleb Cotham. I love, you know, being home a little bit earlier and having dinner with my wife and we're expecting. So it'd be fun to, I, I do think, I do think most people enjoyed, especially for me as a coach, not getting home at 1130 every night for a seven o'clock game. Like there were games where, you know, you played a good baseball game and you're back home at 930. Uh, so I enjoyed that. I can get a little bit better sleep. Here's Rich Hill. 
being home earlier was nice. It definitely was. I think getting getting uh, getting home uh, at a, at a you know before twelve thirty or one o'clock was 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 great. And I think that that's one thing across the board for everybody. You know, uh, media, um, you know, front office, coaches. Um, you know, everybody. I think they overall enjoyed that aspect of it and being able to. Um, you know, get home to their families or their loved ones, or, you know, just have their, their time away from the field was, was extremely enjoyable. Potham talked about the preparation for year two of the pitch clock and mentioned that there will be less of a focus on the time while running pitching fielding practice. I think there'll be less of that and more, more generative type of conversations on like how to take advantage of it potentially a little more. You know, they they took away two seconds, which I don't think is a big deal. But you know, I think year two, guys are they're going to be more familiar with it. Their internal clock's going to be really good. So now they're freed up to like, all right, who do I want to be inside this pitch clock era? Can I be even quicker? Do I need to simplify my delivery? Some pitchers would love to see another rules tweak. They give pitchers at least an occasional opportunity to call a short timeout, something that hitters already enjoy during their plate appearances. Here's Cotham. MLB has done a fantastic job and the umpires have done a fantastic job. And I think we'll just keep keep figuring out how to do it best. But I would say selfishly, just because I'm a pitching coach, I'd love a free timeout for a pitcher like a like kind of basketball. You get a full one and a 30, especially for the starters where that, that game's going fast. It's the sixth inning, the guy on first or there, maybe there's no one on. And I just had a 15 pitch at bat. And I need a breath. Here's Zach Eflin. You know, it might appear that things are moving very slow on the field, but when you're in the moment, you're not really thinking about anything else. It speeds up. It's quick. And you look up and all of a sudden you have five seconds left. And there were two points this year I can remember vividly where I just threw a pitch and our catcher had no idea what I was throwing and I just threw a fastball. Um, We could really uh, get to a point where we could call a pitch and I could agree with it because the clock was running down and I'd rather throw a strike than a ball. So, you know, I just threw the ball. I do like this system. It's quick. It's quickening everything up. I just wish there was one little thing that we could do is step off and collect our thoughts and then get right back on it or something. Whether there are future changes related to the pitch clock or not, it's clear that the timeless days of baseball are over. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash buster just go to indeed.com slash buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash buster terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed 
Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, we've had so much big news in the last week. Of course, led by Taylor's O's being sold, and then they go trade for a Cy Young Award winner. Uh, and I don't want to underplay the big news that came out of Boston that Theo Epstein is being brought in as an advisor. That's the title they're giving. And it's funny, just before I got on with you, I was talking with somebody at, uh, with Major League Baseball, and he said, are you, you kind of wonder how much power he's going to have. And I'm like, what, are you kidding? Like Craig, Craig Breslow, it, it was someone who was fostered by Theo. You know, someone who uh, you talk to, uh, you know, people in that organization, they really believe Theo was the person who decided to bring Breslow in. You know Theo is going to have a major role as they go forward. What do you think? I mean, you know, even though he was with the Cubs, even though he broke that curse as well, I will always associate the OFC with the Red Sox. So when they saw that news, it was kind of like the natural order of things. I'm sure fans are glad to know that his voice is somewhere in the room again. And, you know, again, to me, it's just like it makes sense having the OFC in Boston. So we also got news out of Boston that Netflix is going to do uh, kind of a documentary style following around the Red Sox in 2024. As you know, all the projections, because the Red Sox haven't done much at all this offseason, have the Red Sox probably finishing last in the American League East. And the first thing I thought of was my uh, our friend, Alex Cora, who we worked with at ESPN, you know, with cameras being in his office, I guess, like during the season, during this frustrating year, last year of his contract, they haven't done anything. They're cutting payroll. And I was kind of averting my eyes like, oh, man, this is not going to be an easy situation for Alex. I mean, it'll definitely be an interesting season for them to be following. But you know what I think of? I love watching Hard Knocks, the NFL version of this on HBO Max. And I fell in love with the Lions, with Dan Campbell, the way he runs his team, what was it, two years ago. And then this year, they ended up making the run in the postseason, and I feel like so many people are all in on them because of that. So I am hoping that the young players on this team really get a chance to shine. They're Durant, the Tristan Casas. Brian Bayo, and I hope that this is able to tell their stories so that people know to expect good things out of them eventually. Because, yes, I mean, the predictions are not that this is going to be following a playoff team when the best part of these shows is the individual storytelling. So I just hope they choose the right guys and that they're amenable to that. Yeah, from what I understand, 
the Red Sox for the last three years have been working on this behind the scenes. Like they have been all in. The, the ownership has been, well, day to day, it's going to be the players and Alex Score are going to have to carry it out. So we'll we'll see how smooth it is. I get the feeling we're going to see hear some stories out of Boston on this situation. All right, Sarah, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is four. So with King Kershaw finally re-signing with the Dodgers, which is something I mean, it feels like the last few offseason now. It's, okay, is he going to Texas? Okay, if not, when is he going back to the Dodgers? He is finally back with them, which means that the Dodgers, yet again, have four former MVPs with best framing Kershaw and Otani. They're the sixth team to have four former MVPs that will be to appear for them. The other teams to do so, the 2022 Dodgers, the 2021 Dodgers, and then the 1996 Red Sox, 82 Angels, and 78 Reds. And as everyone pointed out, these teams did not win the World Series, but I would also say none of them had the trio of Best Freeman and Otani. Number two. Number two is five. So you mentioned Corbin Burns earlier. Wanted to mention something about him. So he is the fifth pitcher to join the Orioles after winning a Cy Young with another franchise. He joins Pat Hankin. Doug Drabeck, Fernando Valenzuela, and Rick Sutcliffe. But Corbin Burns won in 2021, which is the most recent two winning that any of those pitchers joined the Orioles. So, for instance, Valenzuela was on them in 1993, 12 years after winning his Cy Young. Hankin was the closest he won in 1996, joined in 2001. But now we have Corman Burns on the Orioles very, very soon after winning his Saya. Number one. Number one is 30. So Bobby Witt Jr., big extension. <laughs> I love to see that. I love seeing a young star say with the team. And all the excitement over him. I had him as my number two shortstop on my top ten list when I did those a couple weeks ago. So he had a 30-30 season last year. One of six ever by a shortstop. And this year he's projected for 30 homers and 42 stolen bases. He would be the first shortstop in baseball history. They have multiple 30-30 seasons. And I know we have new roles. I know small bases are different. But it's not like he's projected to have 30 on the dot or 31. He's projected for 42. We know he's a small base threat under any set of rules. And it would be really, really cool to see him do that again. Sarah, I really felt like this was a case where for the Royals, it makes all the sense in the world that they would finish a deal, even if they felt like, and I don't know, you know, where uh, they sort of view Bobby Witt's uh, value in the marketplace. But even if you were to say they were they overpaid him by somewhat in, in, at this time, when you're going for a publicly funded park 
It makes all the sense in the world. You have to demonstrate to your fan base, especially Salvador Perez, you know, moves into the last years of his career. You got to have a guy. You got to have your George Brett, right? You got to have the, you know, the player that the fans can relate to. I thought it was a great investment. Absolutely. And again, I mean, you mentioned have your George Brett. They didn't just have any any young player on their roster. They have a guy who they knew was a franchise cornerstone. So going out, making this happen with, of course, the ballpark stuff, as you said, and just with their attempt to be one of these teams on the rise, I do think they'll be much better than they were last year which is not hard with how many games they won last year, but I do think they will be better, even if not postseason contending. Lock him up, get this done. They give the fan base another reason to be excited for this year and beyond. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. Got some Burns questions. You knew what it would be here at the top. Noah, he writes in, it may be weekly occurrence now, but we need to check in on Taylor again. His O's, holy moly. Again, that, what what a day last week, Buster. Did you, <laughs> did you know it was coming? Did you have any rumblings? Were you getting some sources? No. No? No. no. And I think part of it was because I heard from other teams. They're like, nah, Brewers aren't going to move Burns. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand what they're doing. I, yeah. I got to say. Like, why would you sign Reese Hoskins to that contract and then immediately turn around and trade your best pitcher and effectively, you know, undercut the team's effort to try to win the division this year? It makes no sense, those two moves. <laughs> oh, I'd expect them to offload some more guys, but we'll see here. Uh, PK Steinberg, the man, the myth, the legend, he writes in, does the Orioles trade for Burns somehow put more pressure on Snell to sign somewhere? Uh, I don't think so. I think that pressure is going to be on Scott Boris. You know, he's going, he's aiming high. And I will say this, that I'm hearing more and more from agents who believe that in the case of some of these prominent free agents, the the agents now probably would be inclined to wait into spring training to wait to see if there's a major injury that develops. And I'm not going to attach this to a specific name, but imagine, for example, if the Yankees lost one of their prime starters in early in spring training. You know that that would change the equation for some of these agents in trying to get big deals for their players. The Big Cito writes in, the Orioles should go get Dylan C's. Farm system will be just fine. Go take that winnable ALEs and have a top rotation ready for a playoff run. Cito, you know the way to my heart, but that's just not going to happen. No, I do think they should sign Jordan Montgomery. Like, I think it'd be perfect. Right? Don't get me going, Man, Buster. Gosh. You, you've got no payroll obligations. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Jordan Montgomery has experience in the American League East. We saw how he grew during the playoffs last year, during the World Series. He led a team that won the World Series. Okay? Yep. <laughs> That's the guy for me. Can you imagine him and Corbin Burns at the top of your rotation after what we saw last year? Don't do it to me, man. Don't do it to me. If they're going to do anything, though, I would say, like, if they're going to make one more move, they need a bullpen arm. That's what I would do for well, them. Yeah, one more move, but let's face it, especially after the Bobby Witt signing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Royals, it feels like basically went to Bobby Witt and they were like, OK, whatever it takes. Yeah. Right. We want you. You're a symbol of, uh, you know, symbol of what this uh, franchise, what the ownership wants to do. They probably overpaid him a little bit mm-hmm. than what they were comfortable with. Overpay is not the right phrase. They paid him more than what they were comfortable with. And given his importance to the fan base, that makes absolute sense. I think the Orioles should have the same approach with Adley Rutschman. Yeah, for sure. Surprise Gunnar Henderson signing, maybe. I don't know. That would be fun. Right. 
Gunnar Henderson, which, who, who's probably and and that group, it feels like that uh, Adley might be the most likely guy to go because if you're a catcher, and that you know the the beating that those guys take, Joe Maurer being a great example of that, I, I do think he probably should look uh, if you get an opportunity to sign a monster deal. Yeah, you you, you might uh, seriously think about that. That makes sense. Corey Rukert writes in: Are my Reds now the NL Central favorite with Corbin Burns headed to Baltimore? It's a reasonable thought. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Ryan Mayer writes in with the reports coming out of Vegas and Oakland. When will the commissioner and or the other owners start to lean on Fisher to sell or get this relocation right? I mean, it is a circus. And <laughs> <laughs> you get the mayor of Las Vegas, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, coming out saying, yeah, they should work something out with Oakland. <laughs> you know, if you read Tim Kuhn's piece uh, last fall, that in the end, there's not really that much financial difference. Like, what are we doing here? And at oh some point, God. and I know, and I've described the relationship among the owners, it's like a loose confederation. Right. You know, anyone, this situation to me is a classic example of the limits of Rob Manfred's power. If this were, a situation where he were the great and powerful commissioner. I mean, you got to believe he would have stepped in by now and said, look, you're making us all look stupid. Yeah. But he doesn't have that power. Every, you know, you get the loose confederation and the other, you know, billionaires kind of look the other way and, and cringe and, and let, uh, let John Fisher do his thing. It's so funny how insulated these guys are. I mean, this is the, the athletics are legitimately a national embarrassment, like extending way beyond the sports bubble. And they just do not care. I love the the press conference. I don't know if you saw the video of it when the guy who was and I can't remember who he's speaking to, but it was some maybe, uh, you know, it was Las Vegas uh, citizens or something like that. But this guy stood up and said, all right, go the 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 athletics. And he was waiting for the big applause from the four <laughs> people who gathered in the room. And there was none. <laughs> They got the sphere there. I mean, they got the Luxor looking like a, a Dorito chip. They don't need the ace. They got they got too much going on. Let's yeah. last one of the day. Uh, Amilcar Solorzano. I think Amilcar is, a, is the first time Bleacher Tweeter. He, uh, this person writes in, why, why if the Dodgers deferred all this big contract money, other teams like Boston, why aren't they following the same strategy to sign Snell and Montgomery and the remaining free agents? I think it's reasonable to assume that the Fenway Sports Group is probably having some money issues, given the things that they've been doing. Uh, you know, that maybe we heard about earlier. You know, uh, full throttle from Tom Werner to where we are now. <laughs> I, I think that the Red Sox, uh, and whether you think that's ridiculous for a franchise that's probably worth you know five billion dollars, if that's reasonable to to claim uh, you know financial issues. I think that's that's how the Red Sox are operating. All right, Buster. Well, hey, maybe they're getting Netflix checks now. You know, they're doing the season long doc. They're doing a a whole history of the Red Sox on Netflix. So maybe you're onto something here, Buster. Maybe the crumbs are out there. So, uh, right, exactly. Oh, you want you want to bring your cameras into our clubhouse? Sure. How much you paying us? Right, right. <laughs> and we're not going to tell anyone about it because that's not what that's what Netflix does. They keep it quiet. So yeah, good partner. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets, everyone. Hey, we're going to be back next Thursday. It's going to be our kickoff show. Kickoff first pitch. Bad analogy to the season. After that, we're going to get into our regular three day a week cadence through the rest of the season. So Thursday, big show. Two really big interviews. I'm super excited about it. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to do some different things this season. So uh, it is all in front of us, Buster. The season is basically here. Man, it's unbelievable. I started packing for spring training. Man. You know, that's, <laughs> I know, that's how close it is. All right, that's it for today. My thanks to Zach Eflin, to Rich Hill, Caleb Cotham, Sarah, Hembo, Taylor, 
Adrian, Sean. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.